0: Father, we, we boldly approach your throne of grace by the blood and mercy that we are given through Christ, that we are declared a, a royal priesthood, and so now we come before you as, as priests petitioning for you to heal our pastor. Did you bring him comfort and peace even at this moment as he just tries to rest Lord, we pray for wisdom for doctors and and comfort for his family as as they minister to him. And Lord, we just pray that that through all of this, your glory would be displayed. Then you would continue to use him to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Continue to call him out and to lead us to be a people who live for your kingdom and your glory. For the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ to all nations. We thank you that you have used him in South Asia, but we're just praying now for his healing, that you bring him full restoration. Encourage him and let this be a time that that he senses your presence in a special way and knows that we love him. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, today I want to... Uh, Talk to you from 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you want to go ahead and make your way to 1 Peter chapter 2. As I was thinking last night what I would speak on, I I just kind of remembered this special moment in my life in college when the Lord used a very uh, interesting moment to to draw me closer to himself. I was uh, attending East Tennessee State University. I wanted to be a a math and physics teacher, coach high school, football and baseball. That was the path I was going on. It's what everybody in my town thought that, believe it or not, they know me as Bubba. You won't know many people that know my name. I don't, look like a, I don't think I look like a Bubba, but uh, that's what everybody assumed I was going to do. And so I was headed down that path. And, and so one semester I decided I was going to take an elective in my education major, and it was children's literature. And in that class, we, we read this book, and God used the first pages of this book to call me out, to show me that I was living my life for the wrong way. Let me read a little bit from you. For those of you who may have read this, this is an excerpt. This is the first opening chapter of a book called The Wind and the Willows. It's a great story of these animals that go on these adventures, and, and they get in trouble. and But the beginning, opening scene, we see Mole. And it says, here's what, here's what we read. The mole had been working very hard all morning, spring cleaning his little home. First with brooms, and then with dusters, and then on ladders, and steps, and chairs, with a brush and a pail of whitewash. Till he had dust in his throat and eyes, splashes of whitewash all over his black fur, and an aching back and weary arms. Spring was moving in the air above and in the earth below and around him, penetrating even his dark and lowly little house with a spirit of divine discontent and longing. Mole was caught up in in the normal activities of what you do in the spring, doing what he, he thought he was supposed to be, but there was something wrong because something outside of himself was calling him. And it says, spring was moving in the air above and in the earth below and around him penetrating even his dark and lowly little house with a spirit of divine discontent and longing. It was a small wonder then that he suddenly flung down his brush on the floor, said bother and oh blow and also hang spring cleaning. He bolted out of the house without even waiting to put on his coat. Something above was calling him. He made for the steep little tunnel which answered in his case to the graveled carriage driving... uh, carriage drive owned by animals whose residences are near to the sun and the air. So he scrapped and he scratched and he scrabbled and he scrooged and then he scrooged again and scrabbled and scratched and scraped working busily with his little paws and muttered to himself, up we go, up we go till it last pop! His snout came out into the sunlight and he found himself rolling in the warm grass of a great meadow. When God called me, his will was like this meadow filled with sunlight and warmth and I was ready to go anywhere and do whatever, to minister to whoever he called me to. And here's the thing, is I, the, the thing that's different between Mole and I is he's, he's scrapping and he's working his way out I didn't do that. It was all of grace that he called me out and, and saved me from this dark and, and lonely place where I had no Hope, or I was just living the mundane and called me to something greater, and that was His will. And I just wonder sometimes here, as we enter into Christmas season, how many of us find ourselves in the mundane activities? We're going through the motions, we're, we're, we're purchasing the presents, we're standing in the lines, we're attending the parties, but even in the midst of all of that, it's more of a cultural thing and less of a divine calling from God and we're not hearing his voice as we should that we get caught up in Christmas in America we have the Martha syndrome where we're just busy working even in our Christianity checking boxes and going through the motions but in reality we're missing the thing as Jesus told Martha 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 you're worried and upset about many things but only one thing is needed and Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Because Mary chose Christ. And I just wonder how many of us are tempted to, be, uh, to become or have already become kind of overwhelmed by that which is truly unimportant. Instead of which is primary, which is ultimate. Francis Chan said this, This is the time of year when we talk the most about Jesus, but maybe this is the time of year when we belittle him the most. How do we belittle him? We forget that this is about Jesus. Next week, we start Advent as, as, as Christians, these four-week journey to, to celebrating the coming of the Messiah, that, that Christ has come, Christ has risen, and we as followers look forward that Christ will come again. And we don't want to just get caught up in the mundane. We want to remember this Jesus, who being a very nature God, this is Philippians chapter 2, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. We celebrate the coming. We celebrate that Jesus will return again. And I I was, remember one time John Piper saying, there's actually a third coming that that maybe we sometimes neglect to, to remember. And that is that Christ comes and still saves people today. And what we're gonna do this year, and, and you may have heard of it, heard about it last week, I wasn't here, um, but we're gonna, this year, we're gonna have Mission LaGrange Christmas edition. We usually do Mission LaGrange. It's time for us to get outside the walls of the church to serve the community, and it's a week. But this year, we're gonna do it at Christmas because we don't wanna be distracted about what is not important. We wanna be focused on what is ultimate, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so next week, what you're gonna get is a prayer guide. It's gonna be 30 days of praying for local and international missions. And we want you to get one of those and pray. Pray for, for the ministries that we have going on here, that we have going on overseas. But we're also going to have uh, the schedule for Mission LaGrange. And we want you to choose. And instead of having to choose for a week, we're going to have stuff spread out over the month of December. And there's going to be things for everyone to get involved in. And you're going to be like I was tempted to get distracted by the normal activities of the season. And what you need to do is just throw it away and say, Oh bother, and just follow the calling of God. To follow the leading of the Spirit to send you out. And and Adam is gonna lead us through this time of talking about the incarnation and what it means that that the, that, that God has become flesh. What we heard when, um, when we heard a couple of weeks ago about adoption from Jason Johnson, where he said in Galatians 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. God became flesh to save sinners, and now we have a gospel to take to them, that sinners might be saved. And so pray for Adam as he does that. Pray for your involvement uh, in Mission LaGrange. But today I kind of want to set this kind of uh, just a foundation for what we're about to do, why we do it. And I want to talk about our identity and our purpose as followers of Jesus. And I I was thinking about this this idea of identity, and I couldn't help but remember when I first became a dad. Grace is right here, so I'm going to cry a lot. When I became a dad in my life, it changed. Let me show you this picture first. Now, that was grace, cute as a button. And in an instant, my identity was changed. And I began to understand these special things about God that I didn't know before, like the fatherhood of God, how he loves us unconditionally, sweetly, and, and how he wants to see us grow and, and thrive and flourish. He doesn't seek our destruction, but he's this loving father. And one of my favorite things to see about Grace was just to watch her grow and develop. And I remember this one time, and she was about six months old, and, and Jamie and I, we were in a worship service at church, and Grace started to get antsy. Started to fidget, and she's just a little irritated, and you can see that she's about to lose it. And you're as a parent, I had, no, I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know what to do. Jamie totally got what was going on. And Jamie quickly turned and started to feed grace. And it just made me think of this verse from 1 Peter 2. We're going to be talking from 1 Peter 2, but, but listen to this. Verse 2. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's see the next picture. I think. Oh, go back, go back one. I guess you already showed that one. So that was grace. It was the many faces of grace when she was hungry. And there were kind of these different moments. There was the like, I'm absolutely in panic and terror. Get me fed or it's not going to be good for you. And then there's the like, hey, I'm right here, just need some food. Kind of calm and she knows you're going to take care of it. And then there's the eager, like I know the food's coming, so I'm ready to get it. See, the reality is, is every one of us are probably in one of these situations right now. Some of us are in absolute panic and terror right now. Holidays are not good for us. It reminds us of some broken relationship. It reminds us of heartache. It reminds us of hurt. We get into turmoil. Could, could you just be at this moment and just be real? You ever hear like that, that phrase, leave your burdens at the door? Don't do that here. Bring your burdens in here. And lay them at the feet of Christ let the community of god come around you and spur you on and encourage you and lift you up. You don't have to put on a mask. You don't have to press your shirt and put your makeup on and make you look like everything's okay. It's okay to not be okay sometimes. Other of us we're just we're just at peace and we know this. We have this understanding that god's taking care of it. Can you just long for that pure spiritual meat and just say, "Lord, just just feed me again today this morning?" And others of us, we're just at peace and we know that the Lord's in control. Will you just celebrate that this morning? Just be real and just long for this pure spiritual milk that he has to offer because here's the result. Next slide. Next. Contentment. Even in the midst of turmoil, what happens when that baby gets that pure spiritual milk? Peace. Calm. settle. Could, could we believe that God could do that this morning, through His word and through His people? Could we gather together with that kind of anticipation? Some of us here are content and resting in the Lord. Some of us are eager for a word from the Lord, and some of us are in panic mode. But let us boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace. To help us in our time of need. Would you, would you this morning boldly approach? Because I want to be a little transparent. I'm, I'm, I'm a little panicky up here. That call came late last night. And that's not in my, my nature. And then at 2 o'clock this morning. When the Lord says you need to change it. Because you aren't going down the right road. It was a little panicky. So I'm going to stop and pray. And I'm just going to ask the Lord to use this moment. For his kingdom and for his glory. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of comfort, that you are with us, that you are leading us, that you are guiding us. And so right now we just surrender ourselves as infants in your arms. And that you, we just pray that you would give us pure spiritual milk, that we may grow up in this identity that we have, in this purpose that we have as followers of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, if I was to ask you, who are you? What would you say? Some of you would panic at that moment. Like if I'm sitting down with coffee and I kind of look in, who are you? Some of you are going to say, it ain't none of your business who I am. Who are you? Or you're going to get really uncomfortable because you're thinking, so how do I define myself? Who, who, who am I? Just this great philosophical question. Well, let's make it a non-philosophical question. What if I just said, tell me about yourself? Tell me about you. Many of the guys, you know what we would do? We would, it would be our, in what we do. So we would say, well, I'm a father. I work at a church. You know, some of us, it's going to be our identity in the things that we do. In the other people, it's going to be our circumstances. Our circumstances are totally defining how we're feeling at that moment. I'm stressed. I'm worried that we're not going to make the bills this week. I, I, I'm, I'm in pain and I'm hurting. Because this is going in on my life. This is going on in my life. I'm a a parent who had to get kids ready to come to church this morning. I'm not doing that great because it's a stressful job. And so we allow our identity, we define ourselves by what we do and the circumstances that we're facing. But the unfortunate thing about that is those things are always changing parents who find their identity in their children what happens when the kids move out empty nest syndrome and, and and it's just stressful like who am i we we lose a job where we live changes and everything is just flipped upside down and we no longer know who we are a marriage is broken or circumstances are the same way. Maybe it's not in just what we do, but it, it's the circumstances we're facing. And we're up here and we're down here and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. And it, eventually it just gets like a teeter-totter, like a ship in the middle of the ocean that's going up and down and we're just sick. But what would happen if we found our identity in something that doesn't change? In, in the one who doesn't change? That is the confidence that we have in Christ, so let's look at our identity and our purpose from First Peter, chapter two, verses nine and ten. Verse nine: But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here, Peter contrasts two different kinds of people. The first we see in verse 4 are, as you come to him, it's those who have come to Christ. Their identity is that they are followers of Jesus. Is that you this morning? Because everything that he says from verse 9 on, but... You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That is true of you. That's your identity. But if you're someone who's finding your identity in something else, you're not a follower of Jesus. It says in verse 7, So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And so instead of your identity being in Christ, it's in yourself. And, and the only thing that that is going to lead to is stumbling and destruction. To, to lostness, to, to separation. And what we need is to be restored. To know this truth that our identity in Christ is far more glorious and far more beautiful than anything we could ever imagine. And when it says that you are, number one, a chosen people, that means it is sovereignly ordained by God. You didn't do anything to earn it. You weren't selected because you were the bright, shining star in the crowd and God said, I got to have him or her. It was all the sovereign choosing of God. And my favorite part is you don't get to choose who else receives that. It's not up to you. This is God at work redeeming a people for himself. And it is a people. Notice that it doesn't say that you are a chosen person. Don't we we individualize it immediately? Like, oh, I'm chosen. No, we're chosen. When we gather together, do we see this is a chosen group of people. All of us who are in Christ are a chosen people. United in him not to be divided, not to be consumed with petty arguments, but to be a chosen people for God's own glory. Not Lone Ranger Christians, not Cowboys for Christ. Our worship service is not to be like going to Walmart and we're passing each other, grabbing, I want this and I want this. While other people do, well, I want that and I want this. But it's a chosen people. Like, do you come in with that kind of anticipation? I'm about to gather with people whom the sovereign Lord of all creation has chosen for his kingdom, for his glory, and for his purpose. Would that change how you walked into this room? Because when you look at people who are followers of Jesus, you don't just see mere people, you see the chosen people of God. Redeemed by Christ. Glorious in Christ. Matt Chandler says. You have not just individuals, but a race of people, and it is a race that is built across cultures and across colors. There's a new chosen race, the church of Jesus Christ, the chosen ones of God. Therefore, this race is made up of all tribes, all tongues, all nations. So really, our identity as a part of the chosen race has nothing to do with the color of our skin, but has everything to do with the fact that God has chosen you. When we go to Guatemala and we serve and we gather with the church there, chosen people. It's not Guatemalans and Americans, chosen people. When we go to South Asia and we serve the people there, it's not the South Asians and the Americans, it's the chosen people of God. In Christ, we are united, not by ethnic background or nationality or any other distinguishing mark in our life. We are chosen by God. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.13 But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as a firstfruits to be saved through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our gospel, so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and lest we become um, arrogant in, our, in this choosing... One of my favorite things that Preacher Max always does when we have the new members class is he he talks about this verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even though we are not, to bring to to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It is all of grace. This is his sovereign choosing. So not only are we a chosen people, but we are also a royal priesthood. It's a unique thing. Two things kind of combined to have this single meaning. And so what is he saying? Well, in Christ, we have become sons and daughters of God. And so we have become royalty. In the family of God. If a king came to you today and said, I want to adopt you into my family, most of us are going to raise our hands pretty quick. Okay, I'll take that. Because you know the benefits that come with that royalty. But it's nothing that you did to earn that. It is a royalty bestowed upon us because he has adopted us. But not only are we royalty, but we are a priesthood. And so, what is a priest? A priest is someone who has access to God, access to him, to represent him in this world that we are ambassadors of Christ. In Mission LaGrange, it's not just normal people from Rosemont who go out and do nice things at Christmas. It is the sons and daughters of God, a royal priesthood who go to minister in his great name as his ambassadors, the king of all the universe. And so now as priests, we have access to God and we offer our sacrifices, but our sacrifices aren't animals and the blood of goats and sheep. But it's our bodies, Romans chapter 1. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We offer up praise to Him. We don't just sing normal songs and words on a screen, but we offer up this great sacrifice of praise through Him. Then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge His name. We also offer up... Acts of sacrificial love. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. We offer up our life. We offer up our praise. We offer up everything we do as a royal priesthood. And so no longer do we need priests to represent us for we have full access to God. So we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Peter takes this statement from Exodus, chapter 19, where it says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. That we are made holy. That we are made a group of people united as a nation for His kingdom and for His glory. When we sing that song, a hundred billion failures disappear. Why? Because not because we're holy in and of ourselves, but because we're made holy in Christ. And everything in the nation of Israel, all of their laws, all of their activities, all of their separate their uh, celebrations were meant to point to the. The fact that Yahweh was the only true God. Do our actions point that our God is the one true God? Are we a nation, a holy nation set apart for his glory? When we, Rosemont, gather together, are we a nation set apart? When we go out into the world, are we a nation set apart? What about this Christmas season? Will we go through the motions? Will we stand in the lines? Will we fall in to the order of this culture, or will we be set apart and different this year? One commentator said that our separation is not isolation. So we're not different in order to shut ourselves off from the world, but our separation is contact without contamination. We don't don't shut ourselves off from the world, but we are in the world, but the world does not Change us, because our identity is now a holy nation for God's glory, living for His kingdom. So we as Christians should be diff- have different standards. We should have different ideals, different motives, different priorities. And the difference lies in the fact that we are dedicated to God's will and His service as a priesthood. We are a nation centered around Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under feet. You are the light of the world. a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father. In heaven, how brightly are we going to shine this season? Not not because of us, because we shine the light of Christ that we've been entrusted with as his ambassadors. We We think people see this building. They don't see this building. They see us. The question is, what do they get from us? What do they learn from watching our lives? That we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, number four, for God's possession. This term means to purchase. You know how valuable an object is? It's as valuable as somebody's willing to pay money for it. If you got gold and nobody's willing to buy it, it's got no value at that point. Our lives have been purchased with the blood of Christ. How great a value Has been placed on us. That we have been purchased. When I was in Indonesia. I got to know a a girl named Lily. Lily was a college student. She was about four foot six. Probably weighed about 60 pounds. Well one summer a a college student came over. And was doing Bible storying at an English center. and, And began to tell Lily these stories from the Bible. And Lily loved it. She wanted to hear more, the idea that there was this God who loved her. She had never heard that. Eventually, Lily came to faith in Christ. She heard the gospel, that she was chosen, she was made holy, that God so loved her that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish. She knew that about herself. Well, Lily also came from a fanatic Muslim family. And when Lily's family found out that she had became a follower of Christ, it got really dangerous for Lily. And she would text from her bedroom, locked inside, I'm not sure what they're going to do. I don't know what's going to happen. Eventually, their family kidnapped Lily and took her a few hours away to an Islamic boarding school where they asked the religious teachers there to indoctrinate her and make her recant and follow Islam again. But Lily... Four foot six, 60 pounds, was a warrior in faith and did not budge, but stood firm in Christ. Eventually, the religious teachers gave up, sent Lily back home. Lily was locked in her room and not able to go out. And one night, her mom became so enraged that the idea of her daughter being a follower of Jesus, that she rushed in and began to beat Lily with everything within her, this little girl beating her mercilessly. And Lily, the giant of the faith, said, Mom, don't worry, it doesn't matter. You can't make me change because Jesus is deep in my heart and you can't hit me hard enough to take him away. She was possessed, owned by Christ, and no one could take that away from her. When Christ owns us, we are his and his eternally. And we need to have that hope to stand firm. Because he possesses us. So not only are we a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. But we have a purpose. And what is that purpose? Verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. What are we doing with that identity that we've been given in Christ? Are we proclaiming his excellencies or are we following the crowds? Are we proclaiming our own excellencies do people know more about us than they know about Christ? How are we proclaiming him? How are we going to proclaim him this holiday season and not fall prey to the world and what they want us to do or what they tell us Christmas is about? And we're going to go and we're going to tell people about Jesus because God has chosen a people for himself. He has set a nation apart from, for himself. He has established a priesthood for himself. He has possessed a people for himself, and we get to be a part of that work. Paul David Tripp said this, your life is much bigger than a job, an understanding spouse or a non-delinquent kids. It's bigger than beautiful gardens and nice vacations and fashionable clothes. In reality, you are part of something immense, something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity, transporting them into his kingdom, and progressively shaping them into his likeness. And he wants you to be a part of it. To be a part of this great redemptive purpose. To serve him and declare his excellencies. You, you don't have to ask me to declare the excellencies of my wife. I know her, I love her, I can talk about it all day. She's amazing. But why is it sometimes that I feel like I have to muster praise for God? It's because I've lost focus. I've lost sight of my identity in Christ. That I am His. That I am a part of a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for His own possession, a chosen race. So my question is if we understand or we believe that this is our identity in Christ, if we believe the word of God, the question for us will be how are we going to embrace that identity and proclaim his excellencies this season and to make it about him, his coming, his redemptive work and that he will come again to claim us And draw us and take us to be with him forever in eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of our identity in Christ. Of who we are. That as followers of Jesus, we don't sit beside just mere people. But we sit beside people who have been made glorious. Through the redemptive work of Christ that we are united in a very special and specific way. And so we pray that you would use us for your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, we ask you as we go about Mission LaGrange that you would put on our hearts a ministry that we can serve in, that we might see more people come to know you. Not Not for the sake of this church, but for the sake of your kingdom and for the sake of your name that they may experience your goodness and your mercy. And for those people, Lord, who have rejected you and yet to put their faith, may this be the day when they truly understand what we receive in Christ and fall on their knees and place faith in him for salvation, calling on his name for you promise that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let this be a new day for each of us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. If you need to pray, I'll be up front. Would love to pray with you. Just respond as the Lord leads. If the wind goes where